Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. We're here. We're live. We're in the studio. Yeah, End us. of June. Summer is upon us. Fourth of July is coming. Hello. It's all good. <laughs> it is all good. Going by the common, the carnival is all getting set up. Yes, I drove by there, and I got to tell you, Steve, it looks pretty spectacular on the common. Yes. Big doings. A lot, a lot of happenings over the next several days, and hopefully the I'm weather. I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed with the town and all the Fourth uh, of July offerings that they have offer. You know, I got my postcard through the mail, and um, it's really great. And you know, I'm right behind the high school, so we're looking forward to seeing the fireworks. Yes. Yeah, that's a good spot. Yep. Last year, unfortunately, because of the electrical storm that was forecast and actually ran through in the morning, they couldn't set up. So they weren't happening Um, last year. Hopefully, hopefully the weather for that Saturday seems like it might be okay. But, you know, (laughs) it's summertime. Never know. So we'll do a round as we've been getting into this discussion. We just jumped right in, so you'll gradually recognize the voices. Many of them should be familiar to the regular listeners, and we thank you for listening to us. Uh, A couple of folks aren't participating today due to some health issues. We wish them well. But in the meantime, Steve Sherlock, I'm here. And Faith Flaherty, I'm here. And I'm almost here as Peter J. <laughs> and I'm here, Bill Wiley. Well, hello there. I'm Alice Church, and I'm Zooming today. But and, you are and doing here, And doing and a, a fine job. Thank you. And we'll use that as a quick reminder that while we do normally meet at the Franklin Mass Senior Center, if you do want to participate with us remotely, contact the Senior Center or the Franklin TV studio and we'll get you the link so you can participate remotely. Because we like to uh, have, it's more the merrier, right? (laughs) So they say. Bill, you want to start us off? Okay. I have two poems, one short one and one longer one. Uh, The first one is called uh, Words Hurt. Sometimes words hurt, sometimes they sting. But oh my God, the hate they bring. A sarcastic word, it gets me going. I try to calm myself so it's not showing. Though sometimes it hurts, I let it pass. But sometimes I want them to kiss my ass. (laughs) (laughs) But But I digress, I'll show the love. In God we trust from heaven above. The memory lives on, but I think good thoughts. Sometimes I'd rather not. Ah. That's, nice. the, that's the first one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, this next one is uh, about the Senior Olympics at, at the uh, Franklin Senior Center. In the Senior Olympics, I play my games. I play darts. In fourth, I came. I walk a half mile, twelfth in the pack. Those old ladies can show walk fast. <laughs> The first week of Senior Olympics is almost done. Win or lose, it was sure a lot of fun. Last day of week one, we go to the high school track, a two-mile relay race that I have never done before. My team, Faith, Kathy, Lily, and myself, walk around twice and no more. Last day of Senior Olympics, what a blast. This will always be a special memory from my past. Week two begins with the game of pool, 
with guys and a lady named Joanne. Larry, David, and Ivan, what a team to beat. But I play my best with cue in hand. Ivan has no shot, so he hands it to me. I sink six balls one after the other. I am ahead of him. Whoopee! But in the end, he beats me for sure. Larry gets gold, David gets silver, and Ivan gets bronze. Me, I play no more. But what a pleasure to play with these great guys. It's all in good fun. But I make good friends, so in the end, I have won. Second day of Senior Olympics, week number two. We gather outside in parking lot to walk a half mile. Woohoo! In the pack, I end up clocking in at 13 minutes. I'm eighth to come in, but so happy that I'm in it. One more gathering on Friday this week. They pass out rewards. I read this speech. But so glad I did this. It was all in such fun. A beautiful day in the bright, bright sun. How's that? <laughs> I think I put that in the newsletter. Yes. It's, it's on it's the it's on the newsletter. It's on the yeah. Franklin Senior Center website. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. It may come in the next newsletter as they recap all the winners and awards from the Olympics. Oh yeah, yeah. July one is out. You got something, Peter? I do. You do. This one is both old and new at the same time. That is. I started with a piece that I wrote literally 10 years ago today, uh, about wow. the 4th of July, uh, and I have modernized it for these times. Uh-huh. It's the 4th of July, a big, big holiday through the eyes of the small. With all its sparkle and festivity, our Independence Day makes a big impression on teeny tots and toddlers who are just getting the hang of sentences. They take it all in as a huge, bedazzling celebration of pyrotechnics and parades, a big, bombastic blast that parents and grandparents call the 4th of July. But they learn it as 4th of July, one four-syllable word. They parrot back the string of syllables, 4th of July, 4th of July, yay! (laughs) In the fullness of time, they grow to understand why we celebrate the 4th of July, they learn another important four-syllable word, independence. Yes, the fourth is a biggie in our national psyche, as it should be. It is that annual affirmation of who we are as a nation and what we stand for as a people. It is that day when our youngest citizens enjoy a wondrous introduction to our celebration of freedom in this special country that we call home. Fourth of July is our patriotic tradition that spans and binds generations. There are few places that celebrate the 4th as well and fully as Franklin. A holiday as big, boisterous as our 4th deserves big play. On August 24th, the people of Ukraine, on August 24th, the people of Ukraine will celebrate their own Independence Day. For them, the desperate fight for democracy and independence is far from over. And make no mistake, We as a free people need to fully support that fight as well. August 24th. Now, I have it written here in Cyrillic, but that's, for me, unpronounceable. (laughs) Ukrainians in the audience would be laughing. So, celebrate our independence, our freedom. Celebrate with the very young. It's more fun. Celebrate because we want to. Celebrate because we can. Yes. New and old. Yep. Timeless. Good one. As always, Peter. Good stuff. Well, mine's old, too. 
well, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, the town of Franklin, Mass., used to have a department called Human Services, which I used to work for. And it consisted of social workers and mental health counselors and admin mm -hmm. people. And a couple, I'm writing two poems, I'm reading two poems of people that I met there. The first one is called Seasons to the Runaway. In summer, the woods will do. Green roof protects while moss holds my head. In the fall, unlocked cars. Back seats welcome me, a safe and secure home. In winter, a dumpster's fine, soft bags and dry, a warm embrace. In the spring, old buildings keep out the rain, respite from running. And they're still out there. If you think Franklin doesn't have any homeless, you're wrong. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's, I was talking about teenagers that we worked with at the time. Yeah. They kicked yeah. out of the house. Wow. Yeah. This other one, this guy is an interesting guy. He's an ex-convict. And I have to explain a few things. And his body is full of um, tattoos. Okay. And he... Um, his name is Peek, like peekaboo, peek. Mm -hmm. A peek in prison language is somebody that was the lookout, mm. in particular for a correctional officer or snitches that would tell. He was on watch. Ooh. Yeah, he was on watch. Particularly for oh, things like, because they were gambling or doing other things they shouldn't be doing, but... And this other nefarious deeds. Well, I don't call <laughs> tattooing people nefarious deeds, but you yeah. weren't supposed to do it, you know. Uh -huh. And they did it with uh, cut they, uh, glass that they broke, and they used it as the needle. Yeah, and they made their own ink from, I don't know, blueberries or whatever oh. they had, you know. But anyways, Peek's tattoos is what I'm talking about. Peek's prison tattoos depict a tale of redemption. Engraved blue letters touch knuckles on his right hand. H is the first on the index finger. A lies tall on the middle. T sits between a ring and the joint. And E is small, but there, on pinky. The forearm displays a broken heart with some girl's name. Biceps flex lightning shooting across a torso divide. An angel flies on the side of his muscled neck, crying tears like a necklace along the collarbone, leading to a heart above a heart, but not just any heart. This heart wears a crown of thorns resting on the high side, and the center, like neon, loudly shouts out a cross, pointing to the left hand, stigmatized above the knuckle. L is on the index finger. O lies tall in the middle. V sits between a ring and the joint, and E is small, but there on pinky. What prompted you to um, write about that? I thought that guy was interesting. He is since deceased, but yeah, I thought he was an interesting uh -huh. person. He, um, this guy didn't know how to read. 
Never learned how to read. Wow. He must have had some dyslexia or something that right. they just couldn't... Before they knew what it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, grew, yeah. he was a carnival person. He grew up in the carnival. Okay. Yeah. And he... Um, <laughs> now I'm going to put, put a plug in for our representatives. He was in jail since he was 19 for stealing. And there is a law out there called... We refer to it as a juvenile law that if you committed a crime, you know, that young, they'll take a look at your case and, and um, you know, take a look at it and see if you have good behavior, if mm -hmm. they'll let you out. Because, you know, I remember when I was young and dumb. <laughs> did some yeah. things you I was young and dumb, not too. Happened. Not necessarily yeah. in that order. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking a look at my book that I did in... Uh, early 90s and uh, murder at town hall and uh, so this is the first chapter of it i'm amazed at how beautifully it's set up <laughs> i have forgotten so many things about the technique in in um, uh, you know in uh, setting up manuscripts but anyway here's chapter one it's strange how small towns attract to corruption like mosquitoes to a swamp. Tonight was the selectmen's meeting and judging from the crowd spilling out into the corridor of town hall, it would be a long one. I took my usual spot in the meeting room, first seat, first row. Settling in, I took my Sony tape recorder with built-in microphone and placed it on the table in front of me. I preferred blending in with masses at these meetings but those who came before the selectmen usually talked softly, and I wanted to make sure I heard everything they had to say, especially tonight. I wasn't surprised to see Joe Sano came through, come through the door. He took long, pronounced strides, his hands tucked into his pants pockets, his mouth pursed in a straight line. I ducked my head. I didn't want to hear from him any sooner than I knew I would. The police would help him now. I saw a couple of the cops give Salano a weary look. My name is Allison Peters. I'm 25 and a reporter for Sandy Ridge's only daily newspaper, The Courier. Right now, hard news pays a bill. And tonight, tonight's selectmen's meeting was going to be front page news. I never guessed murder and greed were soon to erupt like firecrackers at the annual 4th of July picnic. Residents came up to me complimenting me on stories I had done. Others wanted publicity for a story in the future. Business as usual. Most of the town liked what I wrote about them, some didn't. There were some who vocalized their discontent strongly such as apartment owner Craig Wyndham. He refused to act when tenants told him their children tested positive for lead paint since living in his units. Wyndham denied the allegation. A tenant, a tenant called me. I investigated, wrote up this story. Sandy Ridge's housing authority took Wyndham to task. The result was safe living conditions for lower-income families. I was proud of my part in that. I learned early on to keep a tough shell. My attitude was, too bad. You do good things, I write something nice. 
you know I have no trouble telling the truth, whatever. I have their respect as a tough, no-nonsense reporter who got the story straight and reported without bias. I have lived in Sandy Ridge only six months, but I've felt like I've lived here most of my life. I know town officials on a first name basis. They often call me with potential stories, preferring my handling of a story to that of other reporters. I noticed, I nodded to Paul Wakefield, chairman of the Conservation Commission. I saw Pete Sinclair in a corner talking to Truman Oates. Oates was tall, lean, tanned from working outside. He appeared dapper, owned his own development company named after him. Oates had built the North Avenue Estates, which sold very well and he could afford the best. Tonight he was unshaven, sported a tan shirt with jeans. Sinclair, the town's building inspector, was a contrast to Oates. He was short and heavy set. His ruddy complexion gave away a fondness for the bottle. Tonight his cheeks were apple red. What arrogant individuals, I thought. My stomach churned. It was a fearful churning, as if someone or something was trying to communicate with me, warning me of danger. Talk was that the planning board was asking help from the selectmen to intervene on their behalf with Sinclair because of the many special permits issued this past year, especially to Oates. I remembered a remark Loretta Mim, a member of the planning board, had made recently. Good land is at a premium in this town. We have to protect what's here. The meeting started renewal of liquor licenses. Burke Audubon was in trouble again with its neighbors due to poor housekeeping and late hours. Boy, what a boring meeting. I started to yawn when Sarno yelled, my granddaughter's dead and I want justice. Never mind this crap. Selectman Chairman James Beretti, his bald head reddening, said, you're out of order, Mr. Sano. I need to be heard. My granddaughter is. Sano's voice broke, started again louder. My land is under siege and I need protection as a citizen of this town. We all do, came a cry from the back of the room I recognized as Larry Wells, a neighbor of Sano's. Stop anything else from happening, another voice shouted. Peretti looked at his audience. With exaggerated calmness, he spoke, Mr. Sano, I am very so sorry and mourn the loss of your granddaughter. Please don't make me others worse by causing a scene. I have here a letter from the State Environmental Agency. They are in receipt of your letter and have said that they will look into any improprieties concerning your land. Our board can do nothing further until we hear from them. Bullshit, it's all his fault. If he hadn't built on those wetlands, my Julie would be alive, shouted Sano, pointing his finger at Oates. The developer stuck his chin out in defiance. If there had been a retention basin built in back of my house, some place for the water to drain. Maybe my granddaughter will be alive. 
A terrible tragedy, Peretti shook his head. Who's going to bring my granddaughter back, asked Sano. What about my land? Who's going to pump all the water out? A policeman stepped towards Sano, whispered something to him. The upset grandfather pulled away. Sano ran over to Truman Oates, grabbed the man's shirt, pushed him against the wall, started shaking him. Oates resembled a doll whose head was loose. It took only moments for Oates to retaliate. He punched Sano in the stomach. The man was no match for Oates. Sano doubled over. People ran to the sides of the room to watch. Two women screamed, holding each other in comfort. The meeting was being televised over cable. Residents were sure getting an eyeful. Peretti sounded his gavel. It was bedlam. Police were attempting to clear a path to Oates and Sano. Suddenly the room blackened. A shot rang out, the sound deafening. I ducked behind a coat rack. A second shot vibrated the room. Then silence. A light came on as quickly as it had gone out. I stared up at a 38 caliber pistol frozen in Sano's hand. Somebody gasped. I couldn't see who. All I could see was Sano. His eyes were frisbees in front of him. Sprawled in his own blood lay Truman Oates, Sandy Rich's wealthiest citizen. Everyone looked on in horror as Sergeant Kevin Johnson felt for a pulse. Oates looked grotesque. His eyes stared up at me. His mouth was open. Blood trickled out of a corner. He's dead, said the officer. The room started to buzz. Johnson handcuffed Sano, while a cute officer I didn't recognize read him his Miranda rights. I needed air, headed for a window. Nobody moved, came a voice. Okay, I'll vomit on you, I thought, sitting and putting my head <laughs> between my knees. Are you all right, asked Paul Wakefield. I kept my position until the feeling passed. Yeah, was all I could muster. Poor bastard, said Wakefield. He looked at Sano, surrounded by police. Temporary insanity, I suppose, he said. Yeah, I said, Sano stood mute. Johnson said no one could leave and posted patrolmen at the door. I sat there for several minutes, not sure of whether I would lose my supper. The feeling passed and I found a corner to start writing what would be headliner for tomorrow's edition. It was a long night. Johnson wanted everyone's statement. I called the paper for a photographer. The news desk roused some poor guy to come over and take pictures of the scene. I used the time to continue writing my story. At one o'clock, I returned to the newspaper to finalize it. At 2.45 a.m., I turned the lock to my condo, fell to the couch exhausted. In a stupor, I walked to the refrigerator, flung it open. I was ravenous. Everything called me, but I shut the door fast. I am a compulsive overeater and polemic, and attend Overeaters Anonymous meetings to control my purging. The meetings helped me understand myself 
and help me cope with troubled people in my family. I feel good because I haven't purged in months. I was tired and felt sad. Truman also was dead, but my purging would not help him or me. I stumbled to bed. I woke to a ringing telephone around 11 the next morning. It was my editor, Bill Shaw. Good story on last night, he chirped. Never one for small talk. I want you to stay on this, Allison. I was hoping he'd say that, even though today was supposed to be my day off. And I had planned to spend it with my sister and nephew, Timmy. I called Joan when I hung up from Shaw. She wanted to know all about the night before, having heard the news on the radio. I told her what I knew, and we agreed to meet in a couple of days and take Timmy to the park after play school. I then called police chief Ed Hall. He was grumpy. Sano's not talking. His wife, Mary, came in this morning with Warren Conley. He's still in there with them. I knew Conley to be a good lawyer. Sano would need one to get out of this. After hanging up from Hall, I called medical examiner Dave Berger. I won't have anything conclusive until tomorrow, he said. I promised to stay in touch, made myself some coffee, took a quick shower and washed my hair. I scrubbed vigorously. In my mind, I could still see Oates' face, the blank stare of death. Mm. <clears throat> to be continued. <laughs> We'll leave just, the people laying there having the to turn the page. I just say that I'm not thrilled with the blank stare of death. <laughs> just, just, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you've never experienced it. Neither have I. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Let it be thus. <laughs> well, I have two poems today. One... Uh, because of all the summertime sales and the 4th of July auto sales, et cetera, et cetera. I just act now and avoid bitter disappointment. <laughs> I decided to say, how much? Yes. <laughs> so in two parts. First part, how much should you pay for something? How do you know you are getting the best price? You can walk into most stores, find an item on the shelf, and line up at the register to pay the regular price. Before entering the store or during the transaction, you can sign up to get the insider or member price. Your email can give you announcements on weekly items that you are now worthy of purchasing at a promotional or sale price. For some items, they may notify you of a promotion for a specific period of time for an anniversary or holiday price. Part 2. Some items, some stores, will promote items if they've been scratched or dented for a discounted or red tag sale price. An item at the neighborhood convenience store is likely sold for more than the very same item at the chain grocery store normal price. The chain grocery store, indeed, also sells that same item for more than the big box warehouse store where you need to buy in bulk to obtain the lower unit price. You may walk a red carpet to get to the garage sale, blockbuster sale, or bargain basement price. The founder's sale implies generosity. 
but it may not be much more than the annual or clearance sale price. What if you make the trek to get there for the early bird special and find out it's not much different than the weekly price? So, Sherlock, how much should you pay for something? How do you know your two cents research will get you the best price? The book's open on that one. There you go. <laughs> There's an interesting retail theory. Are you going to tell us? <laughs> it all depends. <laughs> Everything that you described are pricing tools. Yes. And the retail theory is that the customer actually sell, uh, sets the price. That is, you don't want to pay full boat, you wait for the sale, or you wait for when the you know, tax holiday is in, or you, where you go to get the thing. Determines the price. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely some logic to that. So the second one, as for the careful listeners, I've been developing a bit of uh, awareness around the gazal and that Eastern format. Um, found a new book recently that, in addition to kind of the couplets, uh-huh. which is the, f- the first poem, um, there's also a, an argument that says there's an interior rhyme before that couplet piece, and you should be able to pick it up in this one. Um, it's a little shorter. It's one of the other pieces in the Ghazal. The Ghazal generally is couplets and can go from 6 to 16. Uh-huh. I, I, my longer version tends to go 6 and 7 because of the way I you know, try to make sense of things. Um, but this one's a little shorter, and it was written during the Pride Festival this past Sunday in Franklin. So there'll be some Franklin references for those. Celebrating with pride. Shooed the bug away, realizing too late, it's a ladybug. Real life is exhausting. White pickup truck, moving slowly, revved powerfully, trying to create strife is exhausting. Joy from youthful bubble chasers challenging the rainbow globes, half-life is exhausting. Black pickup follows the white slowly, other directions, still looking for wildlife is exhausting. Many chats, introducing folks, connecting the dots, all good work, improving our whole life is exhausting. Painting Venus in shaded tent renders the gazebo prideful colored as still life is exhausting. Ladybug returns. Must be telling you something, Sherlock. You know reporting on good life is exhausting. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I think I need to go lie down. (laughs) (laughs) Were you exhausted when you wrote that? Um, I, no, actually, I was rather <laughs> exhilarated by the entire, the entire IT of the operation. There was some music in the background. Certainly the kids were chasing some bubbles, which is, hopefully you got that idea. Yeah. Um, there was the one truck that went by, then the two trucks that went by the other way. So there was a lot happening. <laughs> so I think that brings us to the end of another joyful, wonderful, thought-provoking, lots of writing, reading, listening session for today. Thank you all for listening. Tune in for the next one. 
next month we'll bring you some other scintillating stories and poems and thoughts, etc., etc., etc. And scintillating, then, scintillating might be a good antidote for exhausting. To, so yes. we have to investigate that. Sure. And until then, we'll say goodbye. Steve Sherlock here saying, till next time. See you next time. Looking forward to having you back. I'm Peter J. Thank you for listening. Bye. Mellis Judge, thank you. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.